Let me invite you to open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter 7. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Hebrews chapter 7. Say happy Mother's Day to all of you that are mothers. Thank the Lord for you. It's been a good day already celebrating the goodness of God and the grace of God given to us in children and dedicating children uh, to the Lord. I'm thankful for a chance to be able to do that. And we're going to Hebrews 7 to an unusual character named Melchizedek. Now, if you're a guest here with us, you may be thinking, now, why would that preacher preach on that on Mother's Day? Why would you have Melchizedek for Mother's Day? Well, we've been going through the book of Hebrews since January. It's what we do. We take a book of the Bible and just sort of work through it. And by God's providence, here we are uh, on Mother's Day, landed on Hebrews chapter 7 and the man named Melchizedek. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Now, today will be just a little bit different in that I normally will read the passage, stay right there and just preach that and allude to other scriptures here and there. Today, to get a feel for Melchizedek, we'll have to flip the pages of the Bible just a bit. We're going to go at some point, go to Genesis 14. We'll probably go to uh, Psalm 110. So just be ready. It'd be like Bible drill for some of you as we're flipping around in the pages of the Bible. First, let's go to Hebrews 7. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin in chapter 7. In fact, back up just one verse. Chapter 6, verse 20. The preacher's making an argument here. This is a preacher, by the way, that wrote this to his church. And he's making an argument about the priesthood of Christ and how Christ has gone into the holy place. And we pick it up in verse 20 of chapter 6. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to make tithes from the people, that is, from the brothers though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Why don't you pray for me as I pray and ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you for the celebration and joy of worship. And I would ask, Father, that the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words gave us the Bible would be present to open our eyes, unstop our ears, make it so that we can see and discern and be strengthened by these words. Call people to yourself. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
You may be seated. As you're seated, do you ever wonder why things always seem so hard? Especially if you are trying to live your life as a Christian, especially if you're trying to please God with your life. Why are friendships so complicated? Why are relationships oftentimes so disappointing? Why is work so frustrating? Or it's Mother's Day and Mother's Day is a hard day for a lot of people. Why is family so heartbreaking? Why? Why is it in the year 2022, why is it hard to be a Christian in 2022? Why is it such a struggle? Why does the world hate your morals and raise its fist at the God of the Bible? Why were some churches, this just past weekend, why were some churches in Charlotte vandalized this weekend? Just because they celebrate life and stand against abortion. Why? Against abortion. I never dreamed of the day that Mother's Day would be a defiance of tyranny, that the fact of just celebrating motherhood and babies and children and pregnancy and adoption and foster care and celebrating all of that, how can that cause so much trouble? You ever wonder what's going to happen in the next 50 years? You ever wonder what it's going to be like for Bible-believing Christians in the next 50 years? I think it's going to look something like what these people faced in the book of Hebrews. Always keep in sight, what is this book about? Here is a little letter written by a preacher to his church that is largely a Jewish congregation that came out of Judaism. They were saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but they're finding it hard to hold on because this sect called Christianity is being persecuted, probably in Rome, and they're falling away and fading back into Judaism. And this pastor, he's trying to hold them together. And the preacher, he writes this, he's doing everything he can to stiffen their spine and, and strengthen the resolve of his struggling people. And as he does it, he doesn't fall off into pop psychology. He doesn't fall off into telling a bunch of stories. He takes the hammer of the Bible and the anvil of the gospel and he forges a healthy church that's ready to joyfully endure whatever waits for them outside the doors. Now, brothers and sisters, in part, that's what I hope to do today. I hope to use this strange, enigmatic passage to point you to Christ. I want to do what this man is doing, what this preacher is doing, what, what God inspired this pastor to write, to use this obscure man from the Old Testament named Melchizedek to point you to Christ so that by grace, and the kind providence of God, so that by those two things you can endure anything that awaits you. The struggle of being single, it's hard to be single, especially a single Christian, or the, the friction of being married to another sinner, you both are sinners and it's hard sometimes, or growing up and having children that are wayward on Mother's Day, 
or coming off of, of a death that has broken your heart or a prognosis of cancer or a terminal disease or a stressful job or lonely. Just name it. How are you going to face it? So here's what I want to do. I want to do what this author is doing to show you that by God's grace, I want to encourage you to look, look to Christ if you want to last. If you want to make it, look to Christ if you want to last. A couple of things we can do. You say, preacher, how do you do that? Well, I'll give you a couple of things from the text. Here's the first one, number one. If you're going to look to Christ and last, you need to feed your soul on the Bible. You need to feed your soul. Now, we need to find out how we got here. How did we get to Melchizedek in chapter 7? To do that, we're going to have to do just a little review. So let's back up a little bit in chapter 5 of Hebrews, and let's pick up the story there. What is the preacher doing? Chapter 5 of Hebrews, he is making this argument on the excellencies of Christ, how he is a wonderful high priest, and he is going full steam in chapter 5, and he decides to use Melchizedek. Let's pick it up, chapter 5, verse 5. This is what he says. <clears throat> So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, quoting the psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, this messianic psalm, Psalm 110, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to whom he, who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who would obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He brings it up, and then he thinks, now wait a second, those people can't understand this. Verse 11, about this, Melchizedek, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing. So he tells his church that's on the verge of really falling away, look, you're, you're not spiritually mature enough for me to tell you everything I know about Melchizedek. So in chapter 5, verse 12, it goes off into this warning, some of the fiercest warnings in the entire Bible right there in Hebrews 5 and 6 the warning of falling away, and he gives this scathing warning in chapter 5 and 6, and then in the middle of chapter 6, he turns it into some encouragement and says, now, I've, I feel better about you. I don't think you're falling away. And he gives some foundational promises on Jesus, and then he picks it back up. He comes off his rabbit trail and comes back to the issue of Melchizedek. So the question is, who then is Melchizedek. Well, to get the answer to that, we've got to go back to the beginning. Once you flip back, if you have a Bible, flip back to Genesis chapter 14. Let me show you something there. Think about the first book of the Bible. You have creation, then you have the fall, then you have chapter 3, the first gospel shows up, Cain and Abel in chapter 4. Then we've got Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, the call of Abraham in chapter 12, and then chapter 14, something shows up that seems odd. Chapter 14, Abraham has gone off with his uh, nephew Lot. He's getting him out of a jam again. Seems like he's always saving Lot. And he comes back from this great victory, and he meets this person, Melchizedek. Chapter 14 of Genesis, 
Let me read in verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Keterlomer, this is Abraham, after his return from the defeat of Keterlomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abram, and he said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He shows up right there for a couple of verses, and then we never hear from him again. A thousand years passes. And the psalmist is writing about the coming Messiah. Psalm chapter 110, it's right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm chapter 110 is clearly a messianic psalm and it's, and it's depicting a conversation from God the Father to God the Son, God the Son as Messiah, and listen to the language. You've heard this before. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. Here it comes. One verse. The Lord has sworn, will not change his mind. You, speaking Father, God the Father speaking to God the Son, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A thousand years passes. Here is this pastor talking to a largely Jewish congregation that is in danger of falling back into Judaism, and he reaches over there and grabs this man named Melchizedek, holds him up and says, look through this person to Christ. Here's a picture of Christ. Now, isn't that amazing? To me, I just was, as I was studying, thought, okay, Melchizedek shows up in the very first First book of the Bible, he gone for a thousand years, shows up in the middle of the Bible in Psalm, gone for another thousand years, and then this preacher picks it up by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and a thousand years later uses this man named Melchizedek to strengthen a church that was in danger of waffling. Now let me just pause right here and say, this right here attests to, this attests to the unity of the Bible. Did God use so many different authors over so many different years, bound them together with one story? This attests to the truthfulness of the Bible, that you can rely on what God's Word says to you. This attests to the, this attests to the efficacy. Do you know the word efficacy? The, the ability, the power of the Bible, that, that it has power to change people. This, this attests to the sufficiency of Scripture, that the Bible is able to address all of our needs and everything we face, every problem we have, every answer is right there in the Bible, that, that the Bible is sufficient for us to work through things like racism. This is where we find the answer in the Bible. This speaks to the inerrancy of Scripture, that it is tied together without error and points us to the goodness of God found in Jesus. This tells us that God's Word is our foundation to stand on. It is food for our soul. 
and it is strength for tomorrow, and you need to be feeding your soul on the Bible. Right here before we even get to Melchizedek, it's good for us to, to do what the preacher's doing. You see, you always want to have the intent. When you're preaching exposition, you want to try to match what is going on here with how you present it to your people. And he's calling his people to the record of God's word to strengthen their resolve. Look, brothers and sisters, your senses, your senses are bombarded all day long with all kinds of messages that rot your soul. You got a device close by you, has a screen on it, or you work in front of one, and in that screen, you're going to see all kinds of things. You can watch YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Netflix. I mean, just pick whatever platform. And if your hungry soul is eating only poison, then it's no wonder you feel sick all the time. Some sort of practice needs to change. As a believer, if you're going to be able to stand up out there, if you're going to have a, a strong soul, you need your soul fed on the Word of God. You see, you, if you're going to last, you need to look to Christ. If you want to last, you need to feed your soul on the Word of God. Let me give you something else to consider from the life of Melchizedek. Here's the second thing. Number two, you need to not only feed your soul on the Word of God, you need to saturate your soul with the gospel. The gospel. Let's go there to uh, the man Melchizedek introduced in verse 20 of chapter 6, or at least reintroduced, and then expanded in verses 1, 2, and 3. Several different views uh, and scholarship as to who Melchizedek is. Is he a divine being? Is he an angel? Is it Seth? I don't know where they get, is it Seth? Is it a uh, theophany where God has shown up like the angel of the Lord? Is it a Christophany, which would be a pre-incarnate Christ showing up in the Old Testament? Well, in order for us to get to who Melchizedek is, we always let Scripture interpret Scripture. And clearly, in Psalm 110, the way it is written, it is written as a messianic psalm pointing to Jesus and presenting Melchizedek as a type. A type of Christ. You might want to write that down somewhere, a type. What is a type? A type is a foreshadowing. A type of Christ is a working definition might be, uh, I think I got this from MacArthur or somewhere. Um, a working definition might be, a type is an Old Testament picture or illustration of the life and work of Christ. A type in the Old Testament is there to give us insight and illustration, but not for us to be obsessed by the type. You see, the type points to the real thing. So, for instance, Moses is a type of Christ. Joshua in the Old Testament, type of Christ. David is a type of Christ that points us to Christ to show us the beauty of the gospel. It's good for us to pause here. We want to make sure we're clear on what the gospel is. When I say gospel, I don't mean a ministry or an act or a kindness. When I say gospel, I mean something like this. The Bible teaches that God is a holy God that created all of us in his image. The reason we celebrate life 
is because every life has the Imago Day at conception. It's why we celebrate babies, we celebrate pregnancies, we celebrate adoption and foster care because of the Imago Day, the image of God. But that image of God in us has been disfigured because of sin. That sin is, it's, it's us, it's our nature, it's what we do. It's not just something that displeases God because God is just, it is also something that must be punished. The punishment for sin will fall either on us or on our substitute. God in His love has given us a substitute, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived perfectly, that's righteousness, and it goes to the cross to absorb the wrath of God and take the justice of God, the punishment of God at the cross. This is the Christian understanding how you become a Christian. Jesus dies in your place, takes your sin, and the exchange is He gives us his righteousness. So that's the theology of it. How then do you apply it? Well, in order for you to actually have that appropriated to your life, you turn from sin and believe Jesus did that for you. I'm asking you to believe the gospel. This preacher is pointing through Melchizedek to the beauty of what Christ has done for us. Raymond Brown, when he looked at uh, this passage, Raymond Brown's a commentator. Raymond Brown says that there are at least five ideas about Christ displayed through Melchizedek. Remember, Melchizedek is the type pointing to Jesus. One of those, um, one of those truths is the status. Melchizedek was a priest. Uh, the Latin word is pontifex. The Latin word pontifex um, really is bridge builder. It's where pontifex, if you're Catholic or from a Catholic background, you know pontifex. That is the bridge builder. That, that Melchizedek's a priest, bridge builder. He points to the great bridge builder, which is Christ, who bridges the gap between God and man. He is our priest. Also, the authority. Melchizedek was a king. Jesus Christ is a king. Or in verse 2 of chapter 7, he gives us the meaning of Melchizedek's name. That is, the king of righteousness first must be made righteous, and he's also the king of peace king of righteousness that leads to peace. Peace with God does not come unless you are covered in the righteousness of Christ. Verse 3, we, we learn the uniqueness of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is presented as an argument from silence. That is to say, we don't know his mother, don't know his father, we have no genealogy, which is important because the Levitical priesthood, Aaron, Aaron had this genealogy. Go read Leviticus, go read Numbers. Look, go read Nehemiah. The, the priests in Nehemiah are thrown out because we can't prove you've got a good genealogy. And the preacher here is saying, now that's the way it is in Judaism. Melchizedek, there's no record. Mother or father, and, and an argument from silence. He is completely unique in the priesthood, pointing to Jesus. You see, Melchizedek is the facsimile. Christ is the real thing. You go and read uh, verses 4. I can't even deal with that today. Verses 4 through 10. In verse 4 through 10, we have the patriarch Abraham going and meeting this person in Genesis and paying a tithe to him. And, and the author is saying in, here in Hebrews 7 that if that's the case, then the lesser always pays tribute to the greater and the greater always blesses the lesser. Abraham, who you think is your father in as a Jew, had to pay Melchizedek. The superiority of Melchizedek makes us look to Jesus. 
fact, Hebrews 7, 7, it says, it is beyond dispute. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. And the point he's making, as convoluted as it is, the point he's making is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so far above anything out there. Now, for his congregation, their temptation was to return to Judaism. For us, the temptation is different. We face other things that make us fall away. Well, our temptations have largely to do with materialism and sexuality and sometimes laziness. And we're just tempted by that. And I would just add in here, any person that struggles with, with same-sex attraction, don't think that the gospel doesn't have something for you. The gospel is held up and it says it's better. Uh, what the preacher's doing is pushing the congregation to Christ. He's pressing his people to the gospel of grace, and I want to do the same. You see, I want you to, to look to Christ if you're going to last. I want you to feed your soul, you see, on the Bible. I want you to saturate your soul with the goodness of God found in the gospel. Let me give you something else about, about Melchizedek that helps us here. Here's a third thing. I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice in the finished work of Jesus. Now, you've got to stay engaged here. You've got to remember, Melchizedek is the type that is pointing us to Christ. Now, come with me to the passage, chapter 6, verse 20, all the way down, and chapter 7, verse 3, we find out that Melchizedek is a priest forever. So, verse 3 of chapter 7, verse 20 of chapter 6, he's called priest forever. You come down to chapter 7, verse 1, you find out that Melchizedek is called priest of the Most High God. So, priest forever, priest of the Most High God. Let's deal with that first one, priest forever. What does that do for us? We think about, the, about Jesus Christ as our priest forever. It takes us to the power of the cross and the one-time sacrifice of Jesus on the cross once and for all as our substitute. Look, it is not a Christian worship service and it is not a Christian sermon if you don't ever actually get to the cross of Jesus. There at the cross of Jesus is the end of wrath. It is the beginning of grace. It is the forgiveness of sin. It is the covenant of love. All of that wrapped up in the cross of Christ. We can never step outside of the shadow of of the cross, our hope, our strength, our renewal, our forgiveness. The Holy Spirit of God will always, in a worship service with a church, will always turn our eyes back to the cross. Why? Because the cross reminds us of two things. The cross reminds you of the cost of your sin. The cross reminds you of the love and grace of God given to you in Jesus. He is a priest forever. But not only that, we read about Melchizedek, we look to Christ, and we find out he is the priest of the most high God. You see what the preacher's doing here? He's doing what we do every Sunday. This guy's taking Genesis 14 and he's just giving a Bible study. That's all he's doing. It's interesting that he would call our attention in verse 1 of chapter 7 that Melchizedek was the priest of El Elyon. El Elion, priest of the Most High God. Let me tell you why that's interesting. 
He's talking to Jewish people that have been converted to Christianity. And these Jews knew that Israel, they were the chosen people. And Israel had a covenant relationship with God. And God revealed himself as Yahweh. Did that to Moses, Exodus chapter 3. That's how they know this covenant God, his name is Yahweh. And what we find here, hundreds of years before that, there is this priest named Melchizedek who is a priest of the Most High God who now has opened wide the offer, not just to Jews, to all nations and all peoples. El Elyon, the Most High God, is the God of everything and everywhere. You see, Abraham, this is what the preacher's doing. You got to see the psychological. He's saying, now you see Abraham as your father, the patriarch. And Abraham had a covenant relationship with Yahweh. It's true, that's right. But Melchizedek, who's greater, he's the reminder that this Jesus isn't just the Messiah to Israel, that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. I mean, isn't that what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2? Speaking of Jesus, John says that he is the propitiation of for our sins, but not just for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. The preacher's holding up Melchizedek, and he's saying, Jesus, Jesus is like that. You need to rejoice in the finished work of Jesus that forever he will hold you close and tight and saved. You need to rejoice in the free offer of the gospel to anybody that will believe. Look, this is, we all got lost causes in our lives. This is why we pray for lost causes. Because as far as the gospel goes, there are no lost causes. You keep praying, mother. You keep praying, mom. You keep praying. You, you don't know what God's going to do. You keep praying for the lost cause. Look, you want to, you want to last in this world, you're going to have to look to Christ. If you do that, you need to feed your soul with the Bible and saturate your soul with the gospel. You want to rejoice. Christianity is a religion of, rejo of rejoicing. We rejoice in the finished work of Jesus. And I'll give you one more before we go. Here's the last one, number four. You want to gladly, gladly submit to the authority of Christ. Let me show you where I get that. <clears throat> As the writer is pressing, um, he's pressing us, he's pressing his congregation to look to Melchizedek and look through Melchizedek onto Christ. Look at the description of Melchizedek in verses 1 and 2. Get the names. Verses 1 and 2, you're going to see a couple of, uh, let me just read it to you. For this Melchizedek is the king of Salem. That word Salem, you hear the consonants, S-L-M, Shalom, you hear that? Also the name Solomon means peace. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. To him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. He is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. Get those, king of righteousness, king of Salem, king of peace. Here we are, the two offices come together. Priest of the Most High God, 
king. King and priest. There is no other person in the entire Bible ever called king and priest. This Melchizedek makes us look to the unique authority of Christ and our need to submit joyfully to that authority. Not just the king and priest, he's the king of Salem. That's interesting. I'd mark it if I were you. We have a Winston-Salem right here in North Carolina. You go to the Middle East, you'll find a Jerusalem. You see that name Salem is an ancient name for Jerusalem. It is the same place. Now, I started thinking about that. <clears throat> Jerusalem is important to Jews. It's important to Christians. Jerusalem is the city of David where King David were one day one like the, the King David will come back. And we think about Jerusalem. I've been there myself. But you know what this preacher's saying? You're, you're looking at it like that. Hundreds of years before there ever was a David, God already had a king in Salem, Jerusalem. Not only that, this is a priest king. Hundreds of years before the Levitical priesthood, before Aaron would ever show up, before there would ever be a temple, God already had a priest in Jerusalem. Now the Puritan John Owen, I can't hardly read what he does, but I got to this passage and he backed up and shook his head. John Owen wrote down, this is what he said about Jerusalem. God, by some kind providence, gave the name peace, shalom, to that city because in the fullness of time God would accomplish his great work of peacemaking right there at the cross of Jesus in Jerusalem, the king of Salem. Not just that, he is the king of righteousness and peace. In verse 2, do you see it? Melchizedek is called the king of righteousness and peace. Look at it with me now, verse 2. See it quickly. See what the, what the preacher says. He is first the king of righteousness, then the king of peace. He gives us an order and he does it on purpose He's showing us how this person, Melchizedek, represents Christ. And more specifically, he shows us his office, that he is first the king of righteousness, then the king of peace. That Christ is the author of righteousness. He is the dispenser of righteousness. He is the earner of righteousness. And that righteousness that he gives is what creates peace. You see, he is the maker and giver of peace. Peace with God does never, it never goes ahead of righteousness. Righteousness must go first. Then peace will follow. Paul says it like this in Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus has made peace by the blood of his cross. It's why Paul would, uh, it's why Paul would say in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I know it's a lot. And it's Mother's Day. But I want you to flourish. Look, I want you to live in such a way that regardless of the stress you get in the middle of, I want you to flourish as a Christian. I want you to, I want you to last, to make it. I want you to keep looking to Christ so that you will last. I want you to make sure that you are feeding your soul with the Bible and 
Man, if it just means preaching the gospel to you, that you're saturating your soul with the gospel, that you're thinking deeply on what Christ has done for you on the cross, that you rejoice in the finished work of Jesus, and you see that as, as something that is beautiful, and you, regardless of what you're in the middle of, you, you gladly submit yourself to the lordship and the authority of Christ. Look at Melchizedek. Look through him to the great beauty of, of Christ. I want you to flourish in Jesus. I want you to walk with the Lord and honor God with all that you are. As we close today, I'm just going to ask you to reflect with me just for a moment. So would you bow your heads with me before we sing our final song? Just bow your heads and think. Just think for a minute with me. What are you feeding your soul? What is it? And would you right now ask God to forgive you and help you? Just ask God to forgive you. Ask God to give you time to spend time in his word and to take away the poison, whatever it is that's poisoning your soul. What, what is your soul, let me ask you it another way, what is your soul saturated with? What has you? Is it, is it bitterness or envy? Maybe it's being crushed by stress or pain. Maybe it's Sometimes pain becomes an idol. I know that it's, you're grief-stricken, but don't let that be an idol that, that takes the place of the gospel goodness he's given you. What is your soul saturated with? Is it anxiety? Look, I, I, just, I want you to see that, that the finished work of Jesus, the gospel of grace, let that saturate your soul. As you think about the finished work of Jesus, have you applied that to your heart and life as has Christ been presented to you as Lord and Savior? Have you submitted your life? Is there evidence in your life you've submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ? Today we're going to end our worship service singing unto the Lord. I would invite all of you, when it's time to sing, sing with all that you have, rejoicing in what God has done for you. Some of you here that are still burdened and you'd like just to talk to someone, that's a good time to come forward. Our pastors are here at the front, pray with you, or maybe after church, we'll all be in the lobby. It's a good time to talk to a pastor and say, I'd just like for you to pray with me. If God has spoken to your heart and you need further counsel, that's a time to do, to do that. As we close today, you sing as one who rejoices in the goodness of God. Father, thank you for the word that is good, for the grace found in Jesus. Thank you for the strength to endure. I pray that you'd help the men and women here. They would find joy in the grace you've given us in Christ. Hear us as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please? We close together.